0: I'm glad to be here with you. Wanna again welcome those of you who are worshiping online. We're so grateful you're with us today, as well as those of you who are in person. And I am delighted that I get to speak on my favorite verses in the Bible today. Isn't that cool? I'm kind of fired up about this. The only thing that would have made this better is if my North Carolina Tar Heels would have beat Duke last night. And that did not take place. How many of you are grateful that he's the God of second chances? (laughs) Or in this case, third chances, because we've lost to Duke twice already this year. The title of our new series is All-Time Favorite. All-Time Favorite. For three weeks in a row, you are hearing from a different communicator on our personal favorite all-time scripture. It's not all that uncommon to hear someone say, what's your favorite all-time movie? What's your favorite all-time song? What's your favorite all-time ice cream? Well, this month we're talking about our favorite all-time verse. And so if you will open your Bible to Psalm 1, we will shortly read together Some verses that have guided me personally over the years in my most vulnerable of times. I absolutely love Psalm 1. It's a short psalm. It's only six verses long. And while you're turning, I will tell you that this is what we call a wisdom psalm, meaning that the writer simply sets forth two dualistic options to... Easy to choose from options, one being the path of righteousness, the other being the path of destruction. And this psalm is calling for the people of God to follow the path of righteousness so that we might obtain the blessing of the righteous. Because what I've learned is that you cannot have the blessings of the righteous without taking the path of the righteous. Again, you can't have the blessings of God without taking God's path. And so this psalm has a great deal in common with Proverbs 2, verses 12 through 15 and 20 through 22, which says, "...wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways." who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It has a lot in common, my favorite verse, with that set of verses from Proverbs. Also, my favorite verses have in common, really, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 13. I won't take the time to read that to you today, but if you want to write that down in your margin, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 13, you can read it later, maybe before or after lunch. It also contrasts this blessed condition of the righteous with the wretched condition of the unrighteous. So what we're about to read together, my point being, is not a one-off. It is not uh, something that is... uh, By itself, or standing as an island alone, it's absolutely an idea that is replete throughout the scriptures in both the Old and New Testaments. And so if you would kindly stand with me this morning in honor of God's word, we will read these six verses aloud together. And then I'm going to spend most of my time in verses one through three. If you're ready, say yes. yes. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. You may be seated. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is simply this. Righteous people receive God's favor. Righteous people receive God's favor. Does the text say that people receive God's favor? Generally. No, the text teaches that the righteous among us receive God's favor. How many of you would say this morning, I desire the favor of the Lord? I just want his blessing on my life. I covet his presence in my home. Amen. Amen. That is to say, I desire that God be pleased with me and not displeased with me. I desire that God express his satisfaction for me in caring for me in ways that I wouldn't otherwise be cared for had I not lived in such a way that honors him. Verse 1 says, blessed is the one. Blessed is the one. Some modern translations use the word happy in lieu of the word blessed. I'll tell you that both are legitimate, but I'm going to stick with the word blessed because the word blessed has nearly exclusive spiritual connotations to it. The word happiness does not. It's used more broadly. It can be used in a a secular way even and even contrary to what the Bible says. Upholds as standard. So blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take. Notice there's two verbs does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take. Here comes the third verb, or sit in the company of mockers. Notice the progression of the verbs. The first verb is walk, which seems somewhat casual and relaxed. Would you agree? I am 42 years old, and I enjoy walking as a pastime. I don't like running. I never have liked running. I think running is silly, frankly. (laughs) I don't know... How people don't get bored when they run. Um, You might counter, I don't know how you don't get bored when you walk. Um, Nonetheless, uh, I can chase a ball all day or an object, a frisbee. So I'll run that way, but I'm not just going to run for the sake of running. I prefer to walk. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with who? the wicked so it's not that there's something wrong with walking it's that there's something wrong with who we walk with or stand in the way of sinners notice that word stand is more deliberate it's fixed it requires a little more of a of an intentionality a commitment and last of all the guy here is Sitting, which suggests that the person has kind of settled into a way of life. What's your point, Pastor? My point is that it absolutely matters who your friends are. It matters who your friends are. This is another point that's replete throughout the scriptures. You and I need friends. Even Jesus had friends. Do you remember how close Jesus was with Lazarus and Mary and Martha? Who are your friends? Can you answer that question confidently? Because it matters who your friends are. Friends are different than Facebook friends. Would you agree with that? Friends are different than Instagram followers. Those people often choose you. But who chooses your friends? You do. You choose your friends. You have full control over your friendship, though we don't often take full control, amen, over who our friends are. There was a time early in our marriage when Shannon and I Though we still had, I had buddies, college buddies from Lee in Belmont that I still connected with on the phone late at night. And Shannon had buddies from Eau Claire in nursing school and some friends from high school who were, at that point, moved out of our area. And we just looked at each other one night in early marriage and we said, we don't have any friends. Like, we're content to keep up. These relationships in perpetuity that we built five and ten years ago, but here we are in this community of faith, and who are our friends? And how many of you know if you're, if you're a single person, this is a little easier to establish because you don't have to worry about the person that you're attached to and what they think of your friend, or what they think of your friend's spouse, When you're married, it becomes a little more challenging, but it's still critical that you find other couples where the guy likes the guy and the girl likes the girl. And so we begin to have this discussion, Lord, bring someone in our life. Who is it in our church that we might... Just hang out with and spend time and laugh with, and who might accept us for who we are, and who's not gonna ask us to pray over every meal that we share with them, but is gonna raise their hand to pray, because that's what pastors are always expected to do, right? And so we had some friends over to our home, and we sat them on our back porch, and this is how intentional we were. Are you ready? Hey, their names were Keith and Angie. Keith and Angie, we just wanted to let you guys know that in spite of the way this may seem, we're lonely. And we would just like to know if you would be our friends. And Angie says, we're lonely too. Would you really? Would you be our friends? And we said, of course we'll be your friends. And that started a relationship that's lasted to this day. We just buzzed back up to Wisconsin a few months ago to marry their oldest son, Brady. They just called us last night to tell us that they're adopting Legend, this little foster care boy that they've had in their home for like the last three years. So we're trying to figure out how we might get back there to celebrate with them. Who are your friends? Do you have friends that love you? They're loved by you? Do you have relationships in which you feel known and you know others? It's vital. It matters who your friends are. See, the alternative to friends like Keith and Angie are the friends who suck the very life out of you like parasites. This is not what I would advise you to pursue. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, Paul writes, Don't be fooled by such things. Bad company corrupts what? Good character. Bad company corrupts good character. This is exactly the point the psalmist is making. So we're not to walk in step with the wicked. We're not to stand in the way of sinners. And we're not to sit comfortably in the company of mockers. But rather, and this is where the text takes a turn. Rather, we're to delight in the law of the Lord. Let me ask you a second probing question this morning. And we're still on point one, by the way. So can you just relax? And don't worry if you've missed point two. Don't don't be looking over at your neighbor's notes. Still on point one. All is well in the world. My question to you based on the most formative group of verses to me personally in my walk with the Lord is simply this do you delight in God's law do you do you delight in this book do you look forward to spending time in the bible this is what we read in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you wake up ready and eager to hear from the Lord? We'll hear what? We'll hear the word of God. Jesus said, "He who has ears, let him hear." Do you deal with attitudes that prevent you from hearing from God? Maybe you're here today with a closed mind, and if you were completely honest, you'd say, Zach, you know what? My pride keeps me from picking up the good book because I'm self-sufficient. I'm self-established. I'm self-perpetuating. My income, I take care of. I... Grind out on a weekly basis. I manage my time. I manage people. My pride keeps me from sitting down with my creator and spending time. Maybe you'd say it's your fear. I don't know much about the book. I didn't know it was a library of books. I thought it was a single book. You mean it's 66 books? Yeah, it's 66. Where do I start? I tried. At the beginning, I got to Deuteronomy and quit. It was brutal. Numbers was worse, frankly. Where do I read? Maybe you're here today with a superficial mind, and if you're honest, you're not sure that you're that serious about hearing the Lord speak to you anymore. Maybe you've been playing around the flower shop of the church so long that you can't smell the flowers any longer. It's become a rote activity. It's become something you do. It's become more about your family image your relationship with Jesus, maybe you're here today with a preoccupied mind, and if you were honest, you're too busy with other things that you cannot concentrate and stop and listen to the Lord. Do you have plates that are spinning? Do you have plates that are dropping to the floor? This is simply a matter of prioritization. Amen? So, whether you have a closed mind, whether you have a superficial mind, or whether you have a preoccupied mind, we need to deal with these attitudes that prevent us from hearing the Lord. Have you any unconfessed sin in your heart this morning that would keep you from God? In my very first Bible, which I still have, it's in an office at at home like my first real Bible, like not a kid's version, not the action Bible. Is written in it these words in the margin that I heard from a youth pastor when I was in high school. Either this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Either this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. Are you in a season outside of God's word because you have unconfessed sin? in your heart, and you think it would be hypocritical of me to crack open the good book? Let me share with you this nugget, if that's you that I heard from another pastor when I was in school. It's not about being devoted to discipline. It's about being disciplined to devotion. There's a difference If you're devoted to to discipline, it's about the task at hand. It's about checking boxes. It's about making sure you read at least three chapters on average so that you make it through the whole book in a year. But if you're disciplined to devotion, what is it about? It's not about the task, it's about the relationship. God is the end game. not some box on a Bible reading plan. So I would encourage you, repent of your sins and encounter your creator again. He's waiting for you. He's looking for your company. And if you lay your sins at the cross and begin delighting in his law again, Meditating on him day and night. Look what happens. Here comes the blessing. You will be like a tree planted by rivers of water. A tree that brings forth its fruit in due season. And whatever you do will what? Prosper. I mean, does anybody here but me think that that is a good sounding word? Anybody here besides me want to prosper? That everything you would turn your hand to would succeed? Well, what do we do to achieve that? Well, we get some good company, some good friends, and we meditate in God's law. And if we do so, one of the most appealing images in the scriptures will be true of us. Our roots will constantly be in deep water, clean water. Not stagnant water, living water. So we grow strong and sturdy and withstand storms and trials. Number two. See, I told you you wouldn't miss point two. <laughs> Points two and three are a lot shorter. You ready? Unrighteous people do not receive God's favor. This is simply God's principle. Unrighteous people do not receive the favor of the Lord. Verse 4, not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous See, when harvesting grain, and I lived among farmers for about 16 years, with primitive methods of, of this day, you would end up with this big pile that was composed of three parts. You would have the seed or the grain itself, which is the really valuable commodity, Part of the plant, and then you would have the straw, which was a useful byproduct. It could be used for animal bedding and things of this nature and feed. And then you would have third, chaff. the chaff. And the chaff was the little husk of the seed, not the bran. And it's not only useless to the farmer, it also requires extra effort of the farmer to get it away from the valuable parts of the crop. So in the farming practice of Jesus' day, what they would do is they would take a pitchfork-type tool and they would throw it high into the air and the harvested grain, which was the heaviest part of the plant, would fall to the floor. And the straw, the next heaviest, they would work in a breeze. Had to be a breeze present. It would fall a little ways away, but then the lightest part and most useless part, the chaff, what would it do? It would blow away in the wind. It would neither be collected or used. When the psalmist says that the wicked are like chaff, we can't miss this. He's saying that they are worthless and they are doomed to the fate of those who have no value if they don't turn to Jesus What's the point? Don't be like the chaff. Don't be like the unrighteous. Be the grain, not the chaff. It won't go well for you in the end if you're the chaff. You have time still to change. As long as you're breathing, find good company. And delight in God's law. Third, last one. The Lord knows the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. The Lord knows the difference. God is deep in relationship with who? With the righteous. He knows them. They know him. This is the kind of relationship that every father With a son wants, that every son who has a father desires. And in that kind of relationship, the father doesn't necessarily approve of everything the son does, but he would absolutely do whatever possible to get the son back into relationship with himself to bring the errant daughter back into relationship with himself. But God doesn't know the wicked in the same relational way. I'm just gonna read a scripture to you from John 10 and let these 18 or so verses complete our third point. I'll read it word for word. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of his own. And the sheep follow them because they know his what? His voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from a stranger because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech. The Pharisees didn't understand what he was trying to say. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers. If you've ever struggled with addiction, addiction is a thief. If you've ever messed around with financial mismanagement, it's a robber. If you've ever experimented with sex outside of God's covenant of marriage, which is one man and one woman for one lifetime, You've been robbed, even if it's friends with benefits. It's not his design, it's not his plan. So Jesus says, All who've come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand isn't the shepherd, he doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Some of you have friends who are going to abandon you when the farmer throws his crop in the air. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Last few verses I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Church, the shepherd knows the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. And I believe that deep down in your hearts this morning, whether you're believing, whether you're Agnostic, and you're not really sure, or rather, you're atheistic and would say, I don't believe in any of this God stuff. I think deep down in each of your hearts, you all know the difference between the voice of the thief and that of the shepherd who's inviting you home today who's inviting you into fellowship with himself. We sang this song this morning called King of Kings. In the darkness we were waiting without hope and light. That is you. That is I. Without hope. Till from heaven he came running from a throne of endless glory. Just think of this. How far Jesus came to a cradle in the what? To a cradle in the dirt. Jesus left a perfect place to be with you and me born into a stable to illustrate how much you even in your brokenness and poverty of spirit matter to him to reveal the kingdom coming to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the what he hung for you on the cross He died for you there. He bled for you there. For even in his suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation. Jesus, for our sake, you died. He died for you so that you might be in relationship with himself. He knows you need friends. He knows you need a community that is the local church. He knows just as he, the Son, delights in the company of the Father and also delights in the company of the Spirit, that we delight in the company of like-minded believers. That that's where we thrive. So Heavenly Father, as we sing, Lord, I just pray that you would challenge us to make and keep good friends. Lord, I pray that if there are prodigals here today, Lord, who have forgotten what your voice sounds like, Jesus, that you would gently speak to them today. Lord, that they would hear you clearly saying, welcome home. I've been waiting. Leave your shame at the door. You belong here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning?